Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. I neglected to give an introduction to our guest while we were recording, so I am doing the introduction right now. So today we're talking to Maya Beckvall. Maya is an academic and writer based in Uppsala, Sweden. Her research interests include runestones, medieval manuscripts, and Old Norse poetry. She earned her PhD in Scandinavian languages from Uppsala University in 2013 and wrote her dissertation on the manuscript we're talking about today. I hope you enjoy the show. I'm Dot. This is Lindsay. And you are listening to Inside My Favorite Manuscript, the podcast where we talk to people who love manuscripts about the manuscripts they love the most. Welcome, Maya. What manuscript do you have for us today? Hi. Uh, thank you. I have uh, what I've been told is the first Old Norse manuscript of the podcast. It is. It is the first Old Norse manuscript of the podcast. Such an honor. Uh, it's the uh, Codex Upsilonsis DG11 Quarto which is a uh, manuscript of uh, the Snorra Edda, which Snorra I might have Edda. to explain. Yes, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I think the Eddas, people usually know about the Eddas, right? Yeah. Uh, so in, in Old Norse literature, you have these uh, two kind of main sources. So you have the Snorra Edda, as I, I like to call it, you usually hear it being called the Prose Edda, and you have the Eddic Poetry, which is uh, only preserved in one manuscript, like as a collection. And that is usually called the Poetic Edda. I don't really like calling it that because actually there's only one of these that's called the Edda, and that's the Snorra Edda, that's a prose one. Um, I always have to get that out of the way at first because, yeah, it's the one is an Edda, the other is poetry, Eddic poetry. But so, yeah, so this is, so the. I'll call it the prose edda, the snorra edda, uh, is the best source we have for Norse mythology. This is where you get all these kind of, you have the written down all these myths that you get uh, retold over and over again, and you also get some of the Eddic poetry quoted inside it as well as examples. Oh, um, interesting. And so this is a work that was, uh, it's unusual for uh, Old Norse literature is that it's... Um, it's written by a named author, Snorri Sturluson, that we actually, his name is in it. We know he was an historical person. Uh, and so that means we also know when this must have been written. So this is, he died in, oh goodness, 1280-something, I think. I'll have to double-check that. Um, so it's it's written in the 13th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Coes Obsolensis is one of the four main manuscripts of Snorreda. And it's mm-hmm. It might be the oldest. Um, so it's from the first quarter of the 14th century. So it's about, about 100 years uh, after the original was written. And the other oldest one is dated to the first half of the 14th century. So okay. they're basically the same age. Right. So uh, the earliest, as far as we know, the, er- the original doesn't survive. Well, all we have are copies. And this yeah. is one of the earliest copies. Yeah, okay. exactly. And it's 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 a fairly like it's fairly close to when when the original was written in in Old Norse terms, uh, <laughs> because most Old Norse 
manuscripts are, of course, written down oral, like myths and stories that are hundreds of years earlier than that. Um, is this the is this the case with this one too? So Snorri, he didn't. Who who by the way, I have heard of Snorri Sturluson. <laughs> I'm sure I'm, I'm not saying his his name correctly, but I have heard. I didn't realize that he was the author of the of the so-called prose edda, which is uh, which is interesting. So. Was he writing down then oral tradition that he was picking up from before? Yeah, what the Snorada is is really it's a handbook for, or kind of a yeah, it's a handbook for people who want to write scaldic poetry, uh, and that's kind of main goal of it. So Snorri Sturluson, who wrote it and his name is on this, is actually a, a known person. We know when he lived, so we also know when this original must have been written. And so he dies in 1220. So it has oh, to be early. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he's he he's born in 1178 or 79 because he was born on the winter. So uh, sometime there. And he's he's murdered in 1220. Um, oh, no. How was yeah, he murdered? Do we, do we know the story? Oh, yes. And I'm, I'm going to botch it. But he was basically... I'm saying the wrong thing again. He was murdered in 1241. I'm literally looking at my own dissertation <laughs> to see. I wrote this ten okay. years ago. Um, That's all right. So, so we are totally not judgmental about like <laughs> dates. Like th- this is all about like loving the manuscript and like yes. if you love the manuscript and you're wrong about it, it's we're not yeah. gonna. We are we are definitely not gonna judge you. So okay. Yeah. So I'm going to ask all like all old Norse people who listen to this to not like judge me and crucify me over killing Snorri Sturtus on the wrong year and things like that. But yeah, <laughs> he's, so he's, he's, he's murdered in, in 1241 because he gets uh, embroiled in a like, big political conflict to, oh, dear. To, to do with backing the wrong king and things like that. He's also actually, if you know Eger Saga, one of the, the big Icelandic sagas, uh, some people think he might have written that as well. Oh. But hmm. I'm always a bit iffy about naming anonymous authors, mm-hmm. um, especially for things like this that do go back to an oral tradition. Yeah. So you sh- it's assumed that he's written, he writes at around 1220, uh, so not at the end of his life. It is to kind of remind people of all the myths and things that go into scaldic poetry. So you use, in scaldic poetry, you use kennings, like you do in old, old English poetry. Um, so it's like the whale road is mm-hmm. the, the sea, so it's the road of the whale. And in Old Norse kennings, you will often use mythological like references. So you will mm. use like Freya or any other goddess name to in, in just to use for any other woman, and you can put mm. that into a kenning. So like I don't know, the branch of the Freya could be like a woman's arm or something like that. That kind of uh, that was a bad kenning. Snorri would be angry at me, but um, <laughs> but uh, you made your point. I understand yeah. <laughs> what you kind of how and that because, how that and because works. it's because it's alliterative verse. That's why you need as many words as possible to put in the right place, so you can pick a god or goddess with the right first letters, and you can kind of get that around. So the point is here for him to write down a lot of these myths, so people know them, and that his mm-hmm. students know them. Um, so it's it's divided in three parts. So it's Gilvagining first, which is a kind of has this framework of this stupid. He's Swedish, and I'm Swedish, and all Swedes in Old Norse literature are stupid. <laughs> oh, um, <no. laughs> it's this trope 
Um, I'm so sorry. (laughs) No one likes the Swedes. I like the Swedes. I like you and I like, I just want to go on the record to say that I'm a big fan of the Swedes. Thank you. So, but he's, he's, he's a stupid, uh, gullible Swede and he gets tricked by three magicians to think that they're gods and he gets to ask them questions about the old Norse gods and they answer him. So they, there's, there's an entire prologue explaining this that like, well, there was actually, there were never gods because of course we're Christian. We know that these aren't gods. So all these and people are, they're actually, I think they're from Turkey, I think is like, so he, he does this kind of bad um, etymology where he, he says that, well, mm. they're obviously they're called us and I see it, so obviously they're from Asia. Uh, that's you can see that from the name. Obviously, so, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, so any good Christian can read this and know that no, we're not thinking these are gods. But so he asks them questions like, "Oh, but so who is Freya?" And then they will go, "Well, Freya is the goddess of love, and blah blah. She has three cats and whatever, as is written in this poem." And then they will kind of quote a stanza at them. And those will usually be from Eddic poetry, so that's not Scaldic poetry. So it's these older mythological poems, while Scaldic poetry is younger and tends to actually have named authors with them. Um, um, and then after Gilvagining, you have a part called Skaldskaparmal, which is just like how to how to write Scaldic poetry, and that will that also has some mythology in it, but it's a lot of explanation of how to use kennings, how to do proper literation, all those kinds of things, and what's not is sometimes being, and some people do this, and that's bad, and they're stupid people, and they shouldn't do that. Um, that's then, so funny, because I've never, I've, I, although I've heard of the prose, Edda, I never understood its context as, I, I always just thought it was like a bunch of mythological stories. I didn't yeah. know that it was actually like it's like a textbook or like it a, is a textbook almost, right it very much is yeah um and it's it's which makes it really i think it's very interesting to look at it as a textbook because it's been treated as like this source for the mythology and people who like Gaulic poetry will treat it as a source of that but ignore the entire context of the manuscript which is mm-hmm. not a good idea generally um, and then the the third part of, of Snorreda is Hautatal, which is one long uh, poem dedicated to King Håkon, I think. Uh, and that is, it's both a kind of ode to him, but also every verse exemplifies a different trick in scholastic poetry. So it's also kind of a teaching poem. And that part I know very little about because it's really, really dense if you don't do scholastic poetry. Scholastic poetry is very, very difficult to read because it uses a lot of kennings and also it kind of, because Old Norse is the language it is where you have cases and things, you can you can re- basically rearrange the words any which way uh, because the cases will follow around. I'm showing with my hands now as a little yeah. puzzle. <laughs> uh, and <clears throat> it's... I think I know people who like scholastic poetry and they're very, very clever people and they have a lot of patience because you have to kind of be able to reconstruct what the actual meaning of this is. Uh, so it's it's also kind of just showing off a little bit. So those are kind of the, the three main parts of the work, Edda, mm-hmm. that you get. And as as you might have heard from kind of how I 
glossed over two thirds of it. It's I've worked mostly with Gilvaginic and with Eddic poetry. Um, so my dissertation, which turns ten years this year, happy birthday dissertation! Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> such a big, such a big girl now. Um, it was about how these Eddic poems are quoted in the Quotes of Psalensis. So how mm-hmm. this this manuscript deals with these poems. So that's kind of what, what is in this manuscript. And so it is one of the oldest. It's one of the, the four main manuscripts. And it's mm-hmm. so it's written first quarter of the 14th century. And the other oldest one is the first half of the 14th century. So it, you can't really tell which one's the oldest of those two. So they're about... Yeah, they're about a hundred years after the kind of writing right. of of the work, uh, which I think in, in old Norse circumstances is, is fairly fairly close to the source, because as like a lot of what old Norse literature is is people writing down in the Middle Ages stories that have been transmitted orally from the Viking Age, so they're like three four hundred right. years, and in that way it's actually it's fairly close uh, to what you usually see. And so one of the things I really love about this manuscript is the fact that no one until the late 20th century liked this manuscript at all. <laughs> because <laughs> and I love anything that's weird and different. And the people go like, well, this is pointless. So, so the thing about the Psaliensis is that it differs very much from the other main manuscripts. So from like a critical edition point of view, if you want to get back to the kind of archetypical text, uh, it's it's of no use. It doesn't. Right. It it has too many variants compared to the others. Uh, so it's actually it's the other the other oldest manuscript that is um, the Codex Regius um, GKS twenty three sixty something. Um, there are two. The thing is, um, there are two Codex Regius. Uh, which is just the, like from the Danish Royal Library, uh, and one mm-hmm. of them is the main manuscript Snorada, and the other one is the manuscript with Eddic poetry, and they're very close in what they're called. So it's I can never remember which one is which. I think like it's remembering which is which. Yeah, it's 2365 and twenty three sixty seven, something like that. So it's yeah. So they're so close anyways. to each other on the shelf. Yeah, they're very close <laughs> to each other on the shelf, and they're it's very annoying, and you have to talk about both of them very often at the same time, but. Codex Regius is, it's this, uh, I'll talk about uh, the Edda manuscript. So that's the one that uh-huh. you usually use as a base text for an edition. And then, right. Um, so if you read an introduction to, to a critical edition of Snorada, you'll see it will be like, well, this is a wonderful manuscript. And then there's this absolutely horrible thing that we can't use. And that will be <laughs> the Codex Obsidiansis. Yeah, so I just want to say for anybody who's listening who doesn't know under doesn't know like critical what we're talking about when we're talking about critical editing, um, if you have a text that's copied in many different manuscripts and you make an edition, what you're saying is at least it it traditionally it has been. I am I am making the text that I think is actually the original text that was written. And that's the point of traditional editing. Now whether or not I have thoughts about that, but you know, this is what so it is. I. So when, so in my, yeah. So in Maya is talking about when people make additions, if you, what you're looking for is things that are similar in the manuscripts, because that, what that tells you uh-huh, is that that is 
probably more close to what was originally written as opposed mm. to something that's completely different. So we have this manuscript that we're talking about today, which is one of these sort of different manuscripts. So it doesn't really get considered because it's different. Exactly. Therefore, it's probably not. Yeah. Yeah. So basically what, what all the kind of editors usually say is that, well, this differs in a way that just means that the scribe was wrong. They've misunderstood what's going on. They don't know what they're doing. And thus, all this variation is, is uninteresting to us. Um, because they can be interested in when things differ, but only if it differs so it looks like it's older. If they use mm -hmm. an older word for mm -hmm. something and things like that. Right. So the thing is, it does differ quite a lot in various ways. It's shorter in some parts uh, and it's longer in some parts. Often it's shortening, but again, if you'll see what editors have said about it, they will be like, well, it's been shortened to a point where it doesn't make any sense anymore. And mm -hmm. if you actually look at the text, that isn't really fair. Like They, they got yeah. this general idea about this manuscript and then they've decided not to really bother with it anymore. So when I wrote my dissertation, I was part of a larger project about this entire manuscript to kind of re-evaluate it and kind of look at it in its own right. Because as, as you said, I also have thoughts about critical editions and the point <laughs> of evaluating a manuscript on this. So it does look, you can, you can see, like, so I worked a lot with the edit poetry, with this older poetry that's quoted in it. So you can see that the scribe or, as you always, when you're talking about manuscripts, it could be the previous scribe that the scribe is copying, mm -hmm. you can never tell. But some scribe at some point doesn't actually know some of these words and is just copying them down either very, very carefully or just guessing. Um, so that makes for some really, you get some made up words and <laughs> things like that, which is, is fun, especially names can go, like just goes, just I'll just write this down kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very, I think it's 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 very cute. <laughs> it's just kind of, and uh, one of my colleagues, Lasse Mortensen, who did a lot of paleography on this manuscript, he could also show that there are some really old letter forms that are copied very carefully into this manuscript. So this is a, mm -hmm. a scribe who's working with an older manuscript and is like, I don't know what this letter is. I'll just write this very, very carefully the way it's written. Uh, so, right. and that also shows you that this is probably a scribe that might not be completely in on what this text is about, but is actually working very right. carefully and then gets confused when you get to some of these older words and edic poetry is, it's not as difficult to read as scaldic poetry, but it's difficult in another way because it uses older words. It uses a lot of references and metaphors to things that are now lost like that we only have the reference left we don't know what they're talking right. about you'll have like one verse of something that will it feels like it's referencing like an entire myth and that myth is just not it's not here anymore we don't have it um and that is it's really interesting because to me it also says that these people in the 14th century they are very far removed from when this poetry was like properly alive and kicking like when this was something that people knew and mm -hmm. they're still preserving it but they're losing a grip of what is what it says 
And I think, right. as someone who works with Old Norse, um, because a lot of what we use Old Norse sources for is to kind of find out things from the Viking Age or earlier than that. So we'll look at things from, well, the 11th century or the 10th century through the lens of these medieval manuscripts that might be three, four hundred years younger. And sometimes I think people will trust them a bit too much. Like there's some source criticism that's missing in that we know that this is is far removed from this. And I think just looking at the scribe not really knowing some of these words tells us that you should be a bit careful because even someone whose profession is to write manuscripts is not completely in on what's going on. So what could have happened to these texts throughout the years is is quite a lot, and a lot of things could have been lost, I think. Another thing that, that the, the Uppsala which is what we usually call it, the Uppsala is um, it actually is structured slightly differently than the structure I kind of gave you before, because it seems to have collected all of the mythological material in one part. So this part, the second part, the Skaldskaparmal, has some myths retold. And in Dupsalada, it kind of just has moved those longer pieces of prose into Gilvagilning to kind of fit in there. And, right. and you can actually see something really interesting in the manuscript. You might have lost the link, but I can send it again if you want. What you can see when you start looking at the manuscript but closer is that you get to a part after Gilvagilning where... It gets very, very dark. And it's what page shall we read? So so Ooh. in the thing you I sent you it's the page fifty eight is what this is is called. Oh. So yeah, this is this entire manuscript has been digitized and is online. Yes, and we'll be sharing it in the in the show notes. I will I will share these. Oop. Yes. Shout out to Alvin, which is a great portal from among others, the university library I work for. <laughs> so, <laughs> shout, shout out to out. us. <laughs> now, it's a really, it's a wonderful um, portal for various university libraries in Sweden, actually, uh, to share uh, material. So, if you if you got this page fifty eight, uh, this there should be a an image of of a guy talking to some other guys. It is. It's very dark. It is very dark. And I don't know what other manuscripts you've been looking at. Old Norse manuscripts are usually very yes. dark compared to kind of continental European manuscripts. Um, yes, I think this is maybe one of the darkest. And so, <laughs> so we're looking at a guy. So there's a. It looks like maybe he's a king because he's sitting on a mm? sitting on a throne. If you look, you can actually see it's three kings. Oh, it is three kings. It is three kings. It's hard to see because it's so dark. <laughs> yeah. So the, these are these are the the so called gods that are kind of uh, they oh, they've tricked right. the guy to the left into thinking they're 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 gods. Yes. They're called Har Yafnhar and Thridi, and that just means the high one, the equally high one, and the third, which is kind of <laughs> I guess kind of a kind of jokey. Uh, it's it's not yeah. like this is again like you're not supposed to take these people seriously. Um, yeah, I'm guessing that the third is the guy who's on the yeah who's at the feet. <laughs> so the the person standing like leaning on his his stick is the, is Gilvi, the Swede, who's who's uh, also called Gangleri, and so it actually says above his head it says Gangleri Spear, and that means like Gangleri asks. So that's a very common phrase from this manuscript is 
So yeah. Gangleri asks this, and then they answer. And you can also see that people have later probably been copying, like trying to draw their own kings. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. It's like a floating head. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's such a lovely... And this is one of the, another favourite thing about this manuscript is these little pictures in it. Because it's not an illuminated manuscript in any way. Like I think the kings here are very nicely drawn, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of... It's, it's This is as nice as it gets. Um, so as a, this is a very dark page. It's darker than the other pages. So if you can actually, if you if you um, just click backwards a bit, you can see the end, like the the reverse of this this page, and see that it's much lighter. Yes, it is. And you can also see a, a lady pointing. I think uh, her judging by her dress, I think this has been dated to like the fifteenth century. This is more of fifteenth century with all the buttons. Oh, so this is later. Somebody, somebody someone's been in, added this in. Yeah, but you can see yeah. how much how much lighter this is, and this is also the end of a choir, and this is also where kind of. Gilvaginning ends, and after this, you get the next part, Skaldskap mm-hmm. So, the most likely thing is that this was separate, separate from the rest of the manuscript at some point. So this right. this part that only had the miss in it was ah, probably like the uh-huh. first version. This is what this this scribe wanted to do. So it's the same scribe in the rest of the manuscript. So it's not been been put together much later, but it's clear that they've been separate. For quite a long time, long enough for this right. to get darkened. Yeah, and getting darkened because it's on the outside. Yeah, of, exactly. So it's rubbing up against. If there was a cover, it would have been rubbing up against the cover, or yeah, it could have just been exposed. To get exactly. Dirty. Yeah. Uh, the thing about also, as you might know, but especially with Scandinavian and Old Norse manuscripts, you do not waste space in these because mm-hmm. it's yeah, yeah, and so having one entire empty page in the middle of something is not the done thing and actually the text that goes right up before it is just some some lists of names so it's very likely that the scribe finishes the Gilvaginning and this part with all the mythology in it and has a couple of pages left in the choir and then fills it out with some names of law speakers in Iceland and things like that mm-hmm. so if you go back even further if you go to page 55 you can see that yep. you get some Ooh. some. This is actually scholic lists, lists of, of uh, mm-hmm. scholic poets, and some more fun guys uh, <laughs> written around it. They really had a way of drawing. The people are they're kind of bendy, yeah. <laughs> like the way their bodies bend. It's different from like early. We've been looking at some a couple of early English. We looked at Junius Eleven a couple of weeks ago, which also has figures, and they're very different from yeah. these they're earlier but also i don't know if these look different from other sort of human features yeah, that i've seen they look like they all have severe scoliosis <laughs> yeah they're bent like their their spines are <laughs> bent quite a lot very bendy people it's yeah, a there's style been, there's been some discussion why might if they might be dancing um, there's this one guy that is holding up something that looks like a rope, and there's some kind of folk dance mm-hmm. that involves holding ropes and, and doing things to them with them. So, oh, could be. Uh, you can also, if you go to page fifty, you can actually see that again, like half a page has been left empty, and then later mm-hmm. on, someone's written things on it. But that also means yeah. you can also see that this is kind of when we're done here. Now we're not adding more of this story here. And that's not the way you would usually kind of, you wouldn't separate uh, parts that way by leaving 
half a half a page because it's just a waste of, of vellum. Yeah, and there's a stain. What is that? What is? Do you know what that stain is on the bottom I half of the page? Think, I think it might be from some, uh, like a failed uh, restoration mm-hmm. attempt or something. But I, I yes. couldn't really say. Okay, that would be my guess. To like using a reagent or something to yeah show the text or yeah exactly. So and this has also been restored. Some parts you can see, actually, it has been restored. They've kind of added some kind of fabric. So it's some kind of silk fabric-y thing, which makes it kind of... I mean, it saved the page, but also means it's very difficult to, to read now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you can see like some like some upside-down writing on, on this and the, the page after it, where someone has... I can't remember, actually, what this part says, what those are, because it's later. Still medieval, but later. So that stuff at the bottom is upside-down? Yes. And on the page after it, there's some upside down. So someone's just turned around and reused like the parchment. Turned it yeah. the vellum. Interesting. And these are kind of things where it's it's again with the kind of people not taking this manuscript very seriously. It's weird that it took us until like ten, fifteen years ago to start talking about. Well, it's pretty obvious that this has been separated from been not separated, but once was separate from the rest. Right. It's not a very kind of controversial thing to say when you look at it, but no one's really mm-hmm. cared before uh, that it, it does right. this. And actually, funny that first image I showed you with the kings. This is that's the only part, uh, one of two parts of this manuscript that gets used in like normal mm-hmm. critical editions. You use this image as it's been reproduced so many times. It's very famous because it shows. Gilvi and the kings and like things like that, mm-hmm. and also the beginning of the prologue because it's the only main manuscript that actually says that that this book is called Edda. That's the first line of this manuscript is this book is called Edda. Snorri Sturluson put it together is actually the word they use. They don't say write, so he put this book together in the following way, and then it kind of tells you which parts are in it. And so this is the only manuscript that, that names it Edda. So that is always in the yeah. critical editions because that's that's a good part. <laughs> right. So it's like it's they're willing the editors are willing to take the little bits that serve yeah. their purposes. Oh, so I looked at I looked at the first page. So it's the very first parchment page. Is that where the let's see where the preface or the prologue starts? Yes. What um, is let's see. Trying to it's number find. seven in the so I don't click too much menu. Of- uh, yeah, if you go up and put seven in the I think menu. this might actually be... Yeah, this is basically... So it's actually what's number nine here is the first page of the actual Edda text. Okay. And I think... Oh, there we go. There's also a Sphinx-like figure here in page seven. And I used to know what this uh, this far, first little part is, but it's not from the original manuscript, so to speak. It's, it's a later hand. Okay. I was interested because there's a, there's a bishop guy yes. on the... There is a bishop guy, and he's probably page eight. drawn in at the same time as the other. Mm-hmm. So he's, yeah, there's this bishop. So where you have on page nine, where you see a lot of a big rubric in red. Yep. And one mm-hmm. nice big A for yes. Almachtiger, which means almighty. Uh, so the part in red is oh. that kind of introduction I just told you, that this is this book is called Edda. And yep, I see the word Edda up there. Yeah. Yes. So it says, Bok thessi heitir Edda. Uh, and so on. So it is a little rubric is, is special. And this is the only, I mean, this is as nice as this manuscript gets, but also 
if people who are used to looking at continental European manuscripts, they will say that, well, this is very dark and not very colourful, but actually using green and red and actually doing a little... What's it called in English? The Verbication, well... Uh, the, oh, the initial the, uh, initial, yeah. Yes. Uh, that's actually... That's a fancy initial. That, that yeah. is fairly fancy for <laughs> for the Norse manuscript. <laughs> um yeah. I, I always, when I've talked about this manuscript and conferences and things, you're like, and I was like, oh, it's and actually it's quite a light manuscript. And then all the people who work with like these, like <laughs> snowy white Italian manuscripts, are like, oh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you poor things. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so is it because of the the way the parchment was made, or what it was made out of, or or because think- of how it's been treated? Like, why is it so dark? I think it has to do with like how it's made, if if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. that how the vellum is treated before. So it takes more work to get it that white. And also, of course, it mm-hmm. probably also has to do with how it's been preserved, because a lot of Icelandic manuscripts were found like in farms in the 17th century where people just like did pass down through generations so of course they've not been in the most like they've not been in libraries for a long time and things so that might also know but also you can see the quality of the vellum is quite often in in Norse manuscripts not very good like there will be more holes and more rips and things that are original and they still use the the vellum because you can't Mm. afford to not do it yeah. A funny thing about this manuscript is actually that this is it is a very nice manuscript. Like and this is again something you wouldn't know unless you start looking at it from how it's described. Mm-hmm. Because it is light. It has I don't think it has any holes in it, no original holes. Uh, the margins are also fairly wide. So it's actually mm-hmm. it actually is it's using quite a lot of vellum to write this text and, and giving it quite a lot of space. So this is it has cost money to make. And I remember the first time I looked at what the Codex Regius, the other, like the, the main, main manuscript, what that looks like. Because it is actually, it's very dark. It's it has it's full of holes that are original. It's very mm-hmm. cramped. It's a much, so to speak, cheaper manuscript. And I can't help but think that if if it had been the other way around, that we've been talking about like, oh, and this is all such an ugly manuscript. It's such a dirty manuscript. It's so small and cramped. But because it's the main manuscript, like the, the most popular manuscript, no one talks about that. Right. And it, it's, it's, it's so odd to me. When I was a student, when I started uh, doing Old Norse and Old Swedish, I, when I found out about, the, as you ex- explained, the kind of how critical edition works, I was shocked. <laughs> because I was like, uh-huh. we're all... We're all just studying this because we want to get close to the people and to these texts. Why would we start throwing away texts just because they don't fit? Or why would right. we ignore things? Like, it's not like we're swimming in manuscripts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like as I said, there are four main manuscripts of this text, and one of them is an 18th century copy of a medieval manuscript. So oh, it's not like we can afford to really be precious about it, is what I think. But yeah. uh, apparently... <laughs> That was very naive of me, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak to Norse. I know very little about Norse manuscripts, but sort of thinking generally, like, and anyone who's listened to the podcast or probably talked to me ever uh, knows that I'm always sort of seeking out the humanity Mm. in these things. And so for me, it's actually less interesting to try to figure out what the original text was than to look at the differences Mm. and say, okay, so why? 
Like why, who did this and why, and what is it, what is it telling us about, you know, this person, probably not the scribe, right? Because it sounds to Mm. me like he, the scribe of this manuscript is copying it very carefully from something else, but somebody did that. Mm. And I think that's, I think that's really neat. Like, why is this so different? from that um you know and it sounds like one of the things so there's a couple things that you said i'm just doing this off the top of my head but in the original you have the scaldic section with the bits of uh bits of the mythology and Mm. whoever did this has sort of pulled those bits out and put them in the other section yeah the first section which is mythology so it's like okay well somebody whoever did this is is interested in the mythology and the fact Mm. that it was at some point a separate section Mm. also seems to me like this you know and that that is interesting somebody cared enough about the mythology to kind of put it all together and put it in its own section yeah and you know i'm not going to write a dissertation on it but i think it's neat (laughs) that we're talking about it so do i i I completely agree with you it's baffling to me that that people haven't thought that way before really that it's because it's so i mean the whole reason i i got into doing Old Norse or, or doing manuscripts is to get like the physical thing, like the, the actual yeah. thing that someone has read uh, and, and tried to understand. And that was actually also something I wrote about when I wrote my dissertation is uh, because you talk a lot about like scribal errors and like mistakes and things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but who is it an error for? Is an error compl- compared to what we think it should say? Or mm-hmm. is this actually something that someone reading it at the time would go, I don't understand what's going on here. So I, I tried to kind of separate those two and say, well, this is, it looks like, I, knowing the other manuscripts, I can see this is not what the, other have, the others have, but it makes perfect sense. Like, it still makes grammatical sense. It makes narrative mm-hmm. sense. While sometimes you'll go like, no, I don't think anyone reading this would have done anything but go, I have no idea what this says. <laughs> <laughs> like when it when they make up a, a verb and you're like okay so the, who who mm-hmm. knows and also the kind of middle part where how to trying to imagine a reader who knows how to interpret a scribal error as well if you think about it, if if you read something that someone's typed and they've written an o instead of a p you know exactly why that happened you won't go like i don't i don't understand this word you know right it says Shio instead of ship, what's going on? You you know to kind of fill out the blank there, and I think that a medieval reader would have been able to do that as well. They would know, like people working with with manuscripts. Of course, we we all have these kind of typical kind of errors when you switch letters or you skip a, a line or things like that. Uh, and I'm I'm sure that people in in, in these manuscripts' own time would have known that this happens as well, unknown to kind of understand it cool so are we going to be able to talk about thor because i <laughs> i kind of want to talk about thor okay you, you had, like the like the movies you know the thor movie have you seen the thor movies oh no you gotta see I, the look I, on her face she's like I, no please <laughs> <laughs> no i'm just very used to it uh, so I, I also do work with runes and i get a lot of like magic rune questions and things oh, uh, i've seen i've seen two of the thor movies i've seen the first one and the second one i haven't seen ragnarok you haven't seen Ragnarok. It's no. Probably... I've heard that's the best one. <laughs> oh no, Lindsay! Lindsay, we lost you again. I oh, saw no. you, your face move. 
I'm sorry. Oh no, they I'm are. Sorry, I had muted. <laughs> okay, I muted my mic because my pets were making noise. Oh no, but no, Ragnarok is the best one. <laughs> I'm sorry, I should watch that. It's probably you probably hate it because it's so no. far, but maybe not. I don't know. How no, do you feel about like like the the sort of MCU and other like taking taking the mythology and making it into like? I mean, I'm modern. I'm not I'm not precious about it. I think it's fun. Uh, I also like I'm. I do get, I think I don't get annoyed at all by like MCU, Thor and things. Mm -hmm. I can get annoyed when people will try to explain Norse myths back to me based on watching Thor Ragnarok. Oh, no, (laughs) no, oh, no. It's like, no, (laughs) (laughs) these things, you don't. That's not how that works. No. Although, like, people would be very sure about like how, like, it's it's so far from these myths that it doesn't really. Matter, I think this kind of slightly bumbling kind of sweet Thor is also like it's not the first time you see that. Mm-hmm. I think if you read the myths, he can actually he's actually quite frightening. I mean, he is he is a god of thunder. He has a, yeah, he can be very mean. But I mean, there's a Danish comic called Valhalla that has also been translated mm-hmm. to English, uh, which I grew up with. It's like the eighties, nineties, and um, there you have that same kind of kind of kind of fatherly Thor that is is just mm-hmm. a big slightly stupid oaf kind of uh-huh. guy and that's the same kind of MCU Thor it's I think kind of, yeah, uh, yeah. he's very sweet I think yeah. you can't you can't have Chris Hemsworth <laughs> playing playing a mean he's just not going to be mean he's just kind of you no. know sweet and he's a golden retriever like he's a golden retriever I mean he, he's powerful like there's definitely parts in all of I think all the movies where he was like pulling on when he's got Oh, oh, what's the uh, Mjolnir? He's got like Mjolnir. Yeah, you know. So, I I think I think one of the few things that annoyed me in the first movie, but this I haven't seen this since like it was in theaters. But at some point, like is it Stellan Skarsgård? It's Sweden. There's, there's a Sweden there, and he goes like, "Ooh, I looked this up in this children's book about Norse mythology. I think it might be Thor." And I'm like. <laughs> Could, could you not just look at an actual, like, not a children's book, or just the fact that he's Swedish in the movie? Is like we all grew up with these stories. We've all heard yeah. them. Like they're in children's books. They're in, like, you wouldn't find an adult Swede, even before MCU, who didn't know like the absolute basics of all yeah. books. He should just he should just know that that's he should just it. like oh I think I know what this is instead yeah, of this yeah. weird. I wonder if Stellan Skarsgård had any <laughs> thoughts on that. He's probably used to it, I think. Yeah, he just, he just, I think actors must at some point just like let their brains go and like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to read. This is stupid, but I'm getting paid a lot. So I'm just going to yeah. read what they give me to, to say. Exactly. And yeah. it's also, I think when I was, when I was younger, I think I got more annoyed with that kind of like disco Bifrost bridge and things. And now I just think it's fun. Uh, yeah. And it's 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 a reinterpretation as so many other things like, mm. and the same again like the medieval manuscripts are like, it's not read as a reinterpretation of a myth that they don't that isn't alive at this point they they use it for yeah. their kind of entertainment or whatever and we do too so yeah that's such an interesting way to think about it that Snorri you know and also in the context of what he was doing originally is basically you want to write skaldic poetry. Here's all the stuff you need to know. Yeah. Even if you don't really know exactly what 
you know, what this mm. myth, these myths are because we don't have them anymore. Yeah. Thinking about, I, th yeah, I think we do, we do tend to think about the middle ages as sort of one time and it's like, it's mm. like a thousand years. It's a long, like, long time. It's a long, like a thousand years ago, <laughs> you know, was around the before even he was writing so like thinking about this yeah. is like oh yeah and the it's thing really... is so so exactly and when we talk about uh like snowden being christian for example like he, so he was born like the late 12th century and iceland mm -hmm. was became christian around the year thousand so like right. he's not only christian like it's it's a multi-generation like it's been a long time since people believed in these things or these things were alive as other than this kind of antiquarian like interest and like this is a fun old story but obviously it's not what we believe anymore um, right and i think that there's also been discussion like for example that odin plays this huge role in uh in the kind of pantheon mm -hmm. and there has been some suggestions that maybe odin is big for people like snorri like because he's he's wisdom he does wisdom he does like magic and he does poetry he's an important god for these reasons and, and so those myths are more interesting but if you look at things like place names you see other gods being giving names to places in scandinavia much more um so odin there are a few place names named after odin but there are a bunch of thor names and there are even a bunch of gods that are mentioned in like one sentence in right. snorada have clearly have had like a large like following or so to speak in another like so in, in Sweden for example we can see that Thor and also Ull, Uller uh, who's named it he has one sentence it's not Edda and there are a bunch of names place names in Sweden that show that no we there, there was a there was an Uller cult that was uh -huh. fairly widespread so also that kind of just the structure of, of how we view Norse myth is through the lens of these kind of Christian medieval Icelanders and what they want mm -hmm. to say and what they're interested in. Right. Which is interesting, but it, it can only tell you so much about yeah. what they're actually <clears throat> taking. Mm. You know, taking exactly. Yeah. So, and it's really interesting. It's on right. Like why, why are they writing these things down? And I also think we forget that we're interested in the past people mm -hmm. in 1315. We're interested in the past and in like, Oh, I, I, as I said, I also do quite a lot of work with runes, and you can see in like runes stop being used as like just a normal writing system around like eleven hundred in Scandinavia, mm -hmm. and very shortly after that, you see all these people like like Snorri and, and people writing being very like, oh, runes are fun, <laughs> like this is this, <laughs> this is this weird little writing system, like, and they're interesting in in figuring out what they say, and so. Like in the 16th and 17th centuries in Sweden and Denmark, you start seeing people trying to understand runes and read runes again and start using them again. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I think we forget that that people have always been, I guess, nerds <laughs> around the past <laughs> and interested in and, and and also telling stories about the past. Um, it's not like history started at one point, you know, or history of writing. I have one question and then I know that yeah. Lindsay probably has some questions too. <laughs> I want to go back to Thor because I actually <laughs> love, I love those movies. Uh, and if you said there was like, there were like a couple of things that were annoying. Was there anything that you remember watching 
when you watch them the maybe the first time or, or if you've seen them more than once where you were like that was really good hmm. were you like that was that was actually surprisingly like true to true to whatever or or was it no is it all pretty much an interpretation <laughs> that is it's, unrecognizable i mean it's recognizable and okay. uh, as i said like uh once once i've kind of got into that just not caring so much about it being uh, like mm-hmm. um, <laughs> accurate. I mean, there there are some. <laughs> I can't really answer that in a good way. I'm sorry because it's, it's been okay. so long since I saw it. But like, I remember like being annoyed by the disco bridge, like the disco rainbow bridge. Uh, but afterwards, I'm like, no, I really like that. I like it that it is. It's this really weird thing. It's this really strange phenomenon that will take you to another world because I think that's how it was viewed in its time. Mm-hmm. Like when people made up myths of what is that like colorful thing in the sky? No, it's a it's a magical bridge that goes to the gods. And it's like, yeah, it it is. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think like reimagining it that way is 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 pretty cool. And also I remember at the time there was some like people being very like racist about Heimdall being black and things mm-hmm. like that and that like that's just that's just stupid like that's yeah and it's again if people and, and they will call it um oh no it has to be historically correct and they're like well have you looked at the entire rest of the movie like there's nothing here that's accurate or yeah. historically correct so it's funny how you would think that's that this particular <laughs> thing is a problem this is you the know? one thing that bothers me <laughs> yeah is that is that there were that Europe and Scandinavia was entirely <laughs> white and you can't possibly have any people of color no matter what, mm. which of course isn't true anyway and also fiction. So, so all yeah. that. I think actually those kind of reactions was what, was what kind of started pushing me away from the like being annoyed at things not being mm-hmm. accurate because I was like, well, this is actually, this is, if you take it to its like it's extreme, you end up with things like that and that's just not. Right. You don't want to be there. No, no, really not. No. no. I think cool. I get more, I don't know. I can get more annoyed at things like Vikings, like the, the TV series, because they kind of purport to be historically accurate. So they, they, when they make a mistake or do something, I can be like, oh, people are going <laughs> to think this is true. Yeah. <laughs> I've never actually watched that. I haven't watched the Vikings. Or there was a movie, I guess there was a movie last year too that was like a... Was that a David Eggers? Oh, the the, the Northman. The Northman. Robert yeah, I haven't Eggers. seen that. Yeah. I, 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 I have seen that. It is a lot, <laughs> a lot to take to in. Yeah, I know some people who did some consulting for it, so um, and that they're good, clever people, and so. But I haven't actually seen the film yeah. itself. There were other things about it that made me not be that interested. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that it's entirely blue yeah, and they're... gray, for example, just annoys me. But... <laughs> That's my preference. Uh, it, it it did get colourful at times, I will say. <laughs> thinking it like it's, blood. Yeah, <laughs> thinking, was it, was it blood? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was just, I, I still can't tell you if I liked mm. it or not, mm. but it was just such a visceral mm. film. Mm. It, it just was relentless. Yeah. Right. And it, there was an energy to it that I mean I don't know if it was authentic, but it sure did feel authentic <laughs> in the moment when I was watching. Yeah, it. and 
I think for 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 me, there's still I'm still waiting for like the really good Viking movie that isn't like everything is like blue and gray and blood and horrible or everything is like MCU mm-hmm. that kind of gets to something else. But I don't think we're yeah. really there that yet. Yeah, I don't. And that's a shame because that mm, would be yeah. wonderful. I think that I think I've read. I, this is not a movie, and you will have to forgive me for even bringing this up. But I there's a fan fiction story that. <laughs> I have read. I don't even know if it's finished, but it was about it was it was a Viking story, but it started with a princess, a Byzantine princess being sort of kidnapped by the Rus and taken. But the whole story is like her being after that initial part where mm. which is sort of violent. It's her being on the ships and then taken to I think Ukraine, like modern day Ukraine. I think they end up in Kiev, mm-hmm. and then she's like in Kiev, and it's a I mean, you know it's, it's like a romance, like an enemies to lovers, and she has to like learn the language and mm, yeah. and all of this. But that, but I like that because although you know that there's there's violence sort of happening in other places, the focus is really on the village and you know, this experience. And I'm like, yeah. I'm reading that. I'm like, I'd watch this movie, you know, like I don't really care about, you know, the violence in that, but, but then I'm a yeah. woman and it's a fan fiction and, you know, <laughs> it's a romance. That, so maybe yeah. they don't back. That remind, actually, I, I think for me, one of the best, uh, like uses of, of, uh, like Viking age stuff I've read is a book called travel light. I don't know if you know it, uh, can, I'll put it in the show it. notes, though. Yeah, um, I might even like that fan fiction in the show notes if I'm. Yeah, feeling it's it's Naomi Mitchelson. It, it, it has this kind of. It both has some things where I feel like yes, I, I recognize this from like mm-hmm. historical things, but it also does its own thing, and it's it's, uh-huh. it's very beautiful. It's very clever. I would I recommend it to everyone. Uh, so I I really. I love this book. Uh, I was recommended oh, by Rice Randall. Published in like, 1952. So this is it's, it's, it's to me. It's like forgotten, forgotten classic somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I can't recommend it. It's that also like it's cool. it's fairly short. It's like a novella more uh, length. Um, oh wow! I will check so, that yeah. out. That sounds that I, sounds I would nice. Recommend it to anyone. Well, my question is: is do, you, do you, is there a tale or a poem that you would love to see Oof. adapted? into another kind of medium. Oh, goodness. All of them. As I said, like, still... But, um, <laughs> I... So, m- m- the one I really... I, I like... I, I like the poem called Vodospel a lot, which is just this um, oracle talking about... And it's also one of the big sources for Olnor Smith, because she basically goes... It's... The framing is Odin is talking to a, a seeress and she's telling him about like all the things like from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. So that's where you get a lot of the Ragnarok story. Uh, so that's impossible to adapt. <laughs> but um, I I like... Uh, oh, there's so many. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but one one like story in like in poem is Völundarkvida, which is the story of of the. You should also get an old English sources. It's the story of the smith uh, Völundur, who gets uh, he gets kidnapped and and uh, maimed so he can make he can be a smith for for a, an evil king, uh, and I like that a lot. But it would be also tricky to adapt because it's it's very dark. Oh, someone yeah. cat is here. 
I'm thinking Adam Driver would be great. <laughs> I, I, I watch anything with Adam Driver, and to be honest. Yes. Like... <laughs> we're big, we're big Adam Driver that. fans in this house. I love him as an actor. I think he's, he's wonderful. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, he can be in... He, can, he would do a good Verlander. There'd be a very different version, I think. But Yeah. Yeah, that's Make the story. Bound. I think he's, 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 he's Wayland in the, uh, like, the old English... I'm, I'm out of my league because I don't really know. Um, but actually, and I think there's a lot of, of Icelandic sagas that would be wonderful. And the one that I think everyone who knows Ulnar sagas is kind of waiting for is Laxdala Saga, which is yeah. basically, it has everything. It has like, it has romance, it has adventure, it has like cool ladies doing cool stuff. And like, yeah, it would be, I'm, I'm sure there are a bunch of scripts around the world that have like, I think there have been attempts because it's 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 a wonderful saga. It would make a good film if it treated properly. I think. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. We're going to let you go now because I know you have to go. But we really appreciate taking the time to talk. Thank to you. Us. It was a lot of fun to talk about this. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you for listening to Inside My Favorite Manuscript. Please, if you enjoy the podcast, leave a rating or a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Our website is insidemyfavoritemanuscript.tumblr.com, and there you'll find posts for all our episodes and a link where you can contact us directly. We'll be back again soon with another conversation about manuscripts and why we love them.